Hey everybody, welcome to Answer the Call. I'm Kelsey Kemp, and man, am I so excited for this episode. I can't even finish the rest of my normal intro, but I will make myself. So hi, this is a podcast for high-performing Christian professionals who want to find their calling and lead a rewarding career that's aligned with it so you can make an impact in the decades of work ahead. Okay, yes, so back to my note about this week's episode. So it is with NFT lawyer and investor Jacob Martin, and it's downright epic. Okay, so no matter if you have already invested in cryptocurrencies and NFTs, or you have no idea what the heck I just said and what these technologies are, this is a conversation still for you. Because in it, Jacob not only gives an introductory overview of these technologies and their potential uses, but we also explore the more complex commentary around two significant questions. One, should these technologies matter to us, especially as Christian professionals who want to have a redemptive and influential view in the marketplace? And then two, uh, why should they matter if they do? (laughs) And three, what should we do about it? Some other nuggets to the conversation that you'll hear are with the future of crypto, artificial intelligence, and Web3, and their goal to take out the middlemen, should professionals like bankers, lawyers, accountants, and landlords start upskilling in preparation of being replaced. Scary, I know, but you should listen to this. Uh, Then two, what about how automations can actually be seen as an opportunity to return to God's original vision and purpose for work put forth in Genesis chapter one? Stick around to the end of our conversation for that one. It was really such a, I mean, honestly, really remarkable. All right. Um, Without further ado, enjoy. And we're rolling. Jacob, thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to, oh my gosh, I cannot believe also, side note, the phrase that just came to mind was pick your brain about Uh, NFTs and crypto. I I just can't even believe that came from my own mind for a second. Actually, Ah. wow. Well, now that that's recorded on air, despite how many times I've told my sister, I got another message saying somebody wants to pick my brain and I feel violated. Anyway, so (laughs) how about this? I'm going to start over and say, I'm really excited to hear more about all of your wealth of wisdom on the topic of NFTs, crypto, and the like. Um, Just to kick us off, can you give us a little intro into who you are, where you live, and what you do? Totally. So my name is Jacob Martin. I live in Malibu, California. Um, I'm from middle of nowhere, Texas. Um, And that's right. Uh, I grew up in middle of, middle of nowhere, Texas, uh, on the Texas-Louisiana border, and I've lived in LA now for almost six years, five and a half years. I came out here for law school at Pepperdine um, and just stayed. And then, yeah, the short version of who I am now at this point is I guess I'm a, a mix of a, a lawyer, a venture capitalist, and uh, like a consultant advisor across basically the spectrum of kind of consumer crypto. It's probably the the right phrase, which is like all things kind of NFT, arts, collectibles, um, and like useful kind of consumer level crypto technology. 
Wow. So we can get into what that means. But okay, keyword useful crypto technologies because that That's is, right. and we'll get into this. One of the hot button things is like it's not useful, it's not tangible. There aren't real world applications here, and so I'm totally. excited to hear more about that. But um, wow, how did you get there? Can we do a little overview of That's right. <laughs> undergrad That's right. to how? you are sitting here now in your tech bro hoodie having all these accomplishments that's right that's right we don't wear patagonia we wear hoodies that Um, is correct (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so i've always known that i was more of a like uh don't do things by the book kind of person and uh, a builder so focused on like growth and i always ask questions you know efficiency questions so Similar, I know, I know like with a lot of consultants and, and that background is right. You're trying to make things better. I just knew that I would probably be much more involved than like a, the corporate version of that. Um, so when I was in law school, I actually raised venture money for uh, what is a failed startup. Um, but it was my first real foray into building something. So what I tried to do though, and this is why I use the word useful crypto is I started Um, with this concept that we could take wills and trusts, um, so like death instruments, and automate the distribution of those assets so that families and people didn't have to like go to court and fight over money um, or like waste money on lawyers or accountants or court or the pain and suffering associated with the conversation. So I I thought if we could automate that via what's known as smart contracts, you know, something that's so simple that when someone makes their will, you could literally see the death certificate like on a website somewhere and it would it would ping like a literal automatic transfer of wealth you know what i mean and that conceptually is still something i I, like feel deeply uh like deep conviction that will occur at some point but as of now it's like uh the banks are still kind of in the way and banks don't like the idea of moving cash uh without a human doing it so Anyway, so it ended up being a fail, a failure of like a startup, but I gave it a year and a half and, you know, met all kinds of people, did all kinds of things. Um, and then I met you near the tail end of that, not long after that, with like a bunch of questions on my end of just like, you know, I don't deserve to start another company. Like, I guess I should try to be like, like chief of staff meant a lot to me as like, I'll just go be someone's right hand so I can learn. Um you know, what it, what it really takes to scale something. And I didn't want like a, a down the rung job as like a lawyer or a, really as an ops person or anything I wanted to be involved, um, which I've now learned um, actually is like the fact that I'm, I'm quite creative. Uh, like it, it's, it's business creativity. So it's different than, than art per se, but mm-hmm. it's really just like my brain needed room to be creative in what I do, uh, creative and like useful. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like, like a you can turn ideas me. into things instead of just being like, you know, you should move this around over here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And like, I think of it, I think of it this way, like, I know there's, there's like plenty of trigger associated with it. But when you think of like Trump's lawyer, or someone mm-hmm. like a Trump character, their lawyer, that person's not the person that does paperwork. That's someone that they golf with or have dinner with because of their ideas, right? Like, it's because of how they think and get to like answers on things. Um, and mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, if I'm going to be a lawyer or a builder, I want to be someone that, that does that, you know, that is looked to for like creative solutions. And mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, so I ended up in this weird spot where like NFTs uh, came on my radar in their current form in like November, 2020. Um, and when they did, I was like, oh, well, that's not like useful in the sense that like wills and trusts are useful or like several other key things that I think are useful within like crypto technology, but, but it is really interesting. And I noticed that there were just no other lawyers or accountants working like in and around like intimately with crypto. And so I ended up being like, well, okay, I've been working with crypto for like four years at this point as like a builder. And then as a lawyer, like, I guess that means that I know more than like every other lawyer on this topic, right? Like, like most. And so I'll go be the only lawyer in the room. And so it didn't take me long at all to begin working. Um, you know, I, I built my own law firm and very quickly I ended up, you know, over the last year I've worked with, uh, like five different fortune 500s, a ton of artists and celebrities and athletes and, um, you know, technology companies. And, uh, I consulted one of the major like art auction houses for like six months on like a formal, you know, gig. And so I basically just ended up in this position where I wasn't the smartest person in the room. I was just the only person in the room that knew all of the words. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I became more of like a high end, like a high end filter, I guess. Right. Like a, like a translator, um, you between like, the Trump golfing lawyer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That exactly, exactly. So it's like an it's like an ideas guy mixed with like, oh, okay, well, this person wants to do X, Y, and Z. They need a securities lawyer or they need an entertainment lawyer, but they can't find a securities lawyer or an entertainment lawyer that knows the words necessary to help make their idea happen. And so I became that guy in the funnel. Um, and subsequently I made just significantly more money investing and being involved in like, you know, NFTs and, and crypto things than I did as a lawyer anyways, which has kind of brought me to where I'm at now, which we recently, um, between me and a partner have raised, uh, we're raising like a seed stage investment fund, uh, a venture fund to focus on this, this next wave of kind of consumer crypto. Um, and, yeah, so I do I do a few things at this point, but I, I love all of them. So that's the, the short version. This is one of the more, no, I'll say the most fantastical <laughs> career stories that I have witnessed and at least been in a personal conversation with the person going through it. And okay, one thing that I just have to point out is how you gave yourself the NFT lawyer title. Mm. There's no accrediting institution That's right. That's or right. person who has stepped into that authoritative space that can say, this is my certified apprentice and you should trust right. him. No, you just probably went way into some internet research said, I can hang with all these terms and I could speak to them and be the person in the room that's like, no, pay attention to this, use this word. And so I am the leading authority in this space and there needs to be a lawyer who's specializing in this. Hence, you <laughs> got all these wild opportunities. 
and to you, I don't know how that sounds. You're like, yeah, this is just my life maybe, but (laughs) to the listeners who I know personally that tune into this, I just know that it's such a big deal of needing to borrow credibility from other people and institutions. And just like the example that I love that you brought up of the, the Trump lawyer is that person, like that metaphorical slash literal person isn't valued because they got this degree or because they're the operations person that's going to go execute all those contracts. They're the critical thinker that can ask the right questions and can honestly just be an interesting conversation partner too. Yep. Yep. And so I like how you just embody that. And that's something I would like listeners to note that it's more about that rather than like, who needs to like, give me the checkbox to say that I deserve to be here. Uh, so actually let's take a little step back. And I, I know that you're going to need to explain what NFTs and crypto is and why are those in the same sentence? Like, how do they interact? Sure. Sure. So cryptocurrency is, um, it's not just like a Bitcoin you can buy on your cash app or whatever. Like that is, that is a, a way to get it, but cryptocurrencies are part of the thing called blockchain technology. The point of a blockchain is that it's more or less a distributed computer living in the cloud. Like, like imagine like Google has like cloud space where your data lives. This is like, independent computers that are running off of math algorithms in this like cloud above your heads kind of thing and the cryptocurrencies associated so uh, a single bitcoin or a single ethereum is like the vehicle associated with using that technology and you know a, a very basic like philosophical reason there's there's really two reasons that it's relevant or that it's useful one if you view the currency as something that you are willing to use as, you know, a trading or a barter type currency, a government can never tell you what it's worth. A government can never inflate or print more. There's a limited supply and the supply is definable. And so if a group of people agree to use a certain bartering system, like guns for land or Bitcoin for food, right, whatever it might be, You've now defined a thing that has an accessible value and a non-inflatable like curve. So it can't ever be manipulated by a government. So in third world countries, usually third world countries, you know, will have an individual that becomes a billionaire or super successful. They can literally just inflate that person into poverty. Like literally just through inflation. So they can inflate or deflate currency at uh-huh. will from a governmental perspective and uh-huh. literally inflate or deflate you into poverty even if you're ridiculously wealthy because they'll make your dollars worth nothing and so mm-hmm. bitcoin is this system that was created philosophically by this person that's unknown done from a relatively anarchist perspective which was we're going to build a thing that a government can never ruin mm-hmm. and if we all agree to transact in it then we all agree and it mm-hmm. can't be inflated or deflated or manipulated. So that's the, the financial aspect of what yeah. Bitcoin is. And then the, the technology aspect of what, of what crypto provides is it's like a massive Excel ledger of money or things moving back and forth. Mm-hmm. But imagine what would happen if all of the money 
was tattooed into Excel instead of input. Hmm. Therefore, it can't change. So the word that's used is immutable. So whatever hmm. happens on the ledger, wherever the money moves, whoever interacts with whoever, it's unchangeable, it's immovable, it's un, you know, breakable, basically. And so because of that, you've got this entire system where, you know, people are able to transact. And, you know, if, if, if you meet somebody for the first time and they tell you they used to be in the military or they went to Stanford, how do you prove that? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what does it matter? Like, okay. how, how would you prove? It's two different questions, I guess. But how would you prove that your friend's new boyfriend actually is an astronaut that actually went to space or not? You can't prove it. Yeah. But if I tell you that I own X or I did this or that, and it literally lives on a blockchain associated with me, then I can show you air quote on chain proof mm-hmm. of my ownership of that thing. And to me, that's an invaluable concept. Um, yeah. And so I guess I hope that's helpful at a high level. It is. I really enjoy that description because, you know, go on YouTube and get somebody to describe it and it comes out a million different ways. It feels like to me, at least. Totally. Uh, And, but a few follow-up questions just because I'm still trying to not just deepen, but kind of get footing in my understanding of this stuff. It seems to me from your description of if you have that like blockchain proof, it establishes more uh, availability of trust instead of centralizing trust in organizations like right. oh don't worry even if he's sketchy we're passing the um the money through paypal and they have uh i have an ability to withdraw my uh, or like cancel the transaction if there's <laughs> I, that's a, a fake <laughs> or like a broad brushed um yeah yeah uh example but yeah it's it's a there's not pass through that's or right. you don't need right. the intermediaries, which actually, why don't I just go ahead and jump to a question that I was going to ask much later. Speaking Do of it. the, uh, is it fair to say elimination of the need for intermediaries or just reducing? Uh, it changes the amount of intermediary that is done by a human versus what's done by the technology directly. Okay. And so human intermediaries currently examples like bankers, lawyers, accountants, and landlords. Why don't I go ahead and quote this Forbes article that I found? It said, crucially, decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, in Mm. theory, eliminate the need entirely for many of the men in the middle needed to run an organization, such as bankers, lawyers, accountants, and landlords. And so, especially with the growth of, I mean, all of this is really hand in hand with using artificial intelligence and its rise and its part in web three, I'm probably just throwing out stupid buzzwords, but should, my question is, should accountants and bankers and lawyers start upskilling into other professions? Like, is that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I don't, I I think there's a difference in scaling out of your role and scaling into being literate in the other things. So um, you're a steel worker in 1946, the war's over, there's no more steel to work on, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. actually can and will happen in certain industries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like think of anyone who works at a DMV. When we migrate the entirety of the DMV digital, which is happening, thankfully, mm-hmm 
but take it the step, take it the step further where I want to sell my used car on Craigslist or Facebook. Instead of selling it on Craigslist or Facebook for cash in hand in a parking lot, I list it online with the deed to my car attached to a portal that says click here to buy. You click here to buy, your money goes into an escrow holding mm -hmm. until I hand you the keys. Once I've handed you the keys and we prove that the keys have been handed over, the same way Amazon takes a photo of something put on your doorstep, we prove to the tech, like to the contract itself, sure. that the keys have been exchanged to the vehicle. The cash or crypto in the escrow releases into my account. That person has the mm -hmm. car. The deed would transfer over and you register it with the state on the spot. Yeah. There's no reason for a human in any of that. You shouldn't need a bank and you shouldn't need a DMV human to register literally any of that. You should just be able to click a few buttons and automate the transition. That is going um, to save so much time and error and misunderstanding. Uh, but I, I know that some people in the audience might be like, oh, great. Will I not have to negotiate on the example here, cars, but many other things. Right. And to me, that's not a relief. That's yeah, it just changes. It kind of changes what you spend your brain power on is more how yeah. I would look at it. Like I had this conversation one time with someone about um, the concept of like people losing their jobs because mm -hmm. of like blockchain or other tech. Yeah. And I, I heard this one person say it in a way that blew my mind and I fully agreed, which was he said, yes, people will lose jobs. And yes, that is sad. But it's not sad if the jobs that are lost are basic BS data entry roles that aren't fulfilling anyways. Yeah. If we can help people migrate towards something fulfilling and automate kind of useless or like very, very paperwork heavy, like intermediary roles that could be automated, then there's no reason to feel sad over that person losing that job. And yeah. that's kind of intense. I'm not saying that that's like my current like final stance on that, but I do really understand and appreciate the idea that like some of the stuff that I want automated makes everyone involves lives better, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a thing that in an ideal world, mo most things become NFTs. So I guess I can say what, what mm -hmm. an NFT is, is yeah. so, so when you think of a $5 bill, um, it doesn't matter if I use one $5 bill or another $5 bill. They're both $5 bills. They're fungible. Fungible is the word. Interchangeable, they have the same value. Non-fungible would be um, two individual items that are like the same, but, but different. So that would be, you know, one Michael Jordan rookie card is not the same as another Michael Jordan rookie card because they're not both the perfect same condition, the same cut, even coming from the same factory. They're not perfectly the same. Um, so an individual painting, an individual car deed, an individual, anything that's like truly unique is non-fungible and, 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 and it is in independent and important. And so the concept of, of NFTs in a lot of ways right now is being most used and understood by like collectors of art and collectibles and tradable items. Mm -hmm. But in, in concept and, and hopefully further in practice, it's gonna be your ticket to a, to a sports event. It's gonna be your ticket to a concert. It's gonna be your car deed. It's gonna be your house deed. It's gonna be non-fungible items like a deed to a house, an independent piece of paper that has a signature. 
it's just going to be better than having it on a piece of paper with a paper signature. It's going to be held digitally with a digital signature associated with your digit with your identity in a digital way. Um, and so that to me is where it's like, if you're looking at AI and or blockchain as like basically not what we think might happen, but like kind of what is pretty obviously going to happen, you mm -hmm. know, then viewing it as anything other than inevitable is just like the wrong view. Um, I'm not sure if it'll go into actual all of the things, but it's definitely going to go into a lot of things. Um, and so, yeah, to me, I'm also like probably far enough down the rabbit hole that like mm -hmm. I sound a little nutty, but like that's fine. It's it's a combination of conviction and uh, experience at this point. Um, so I'm down. I'm down to be wrong, but I think I think it's not wrong um to see it as just kind of what's next um so i dig yeah. that i dig that yeah. um and just uh the simple connection that was made to me in a youtube video last night that i was like oh, how did i not get this so i might as well share if there's similarly noobs in the audience of um nfts were created as one of the first like channeled uses of crypto it is there a better way that you would say that? Yeah, it's it's the perfect consumer on ramp. So okay. a lot of things that were being done before is like, like people really like within crypto understand it from the finance perspective, you know, mm -hmm. the like non non inflatable currency perspective. But a lot of people also like, especially the average consumer doesn't really care. They just kind of want their Bitcoin to go up, you know, okay. like from like an invest investment perspective. Yeah. Um, but yeah, NFTs is this like consumer, it, yeah, consumers are just way happier to take on, you know, uh, the rookie card comparison mm -hmm. than they are to like fully understand or dig into like a, the philosophical implications of a non-inflatable yeah. currency. It is cute as art, not as money right now. Right, right, and right. Actually, uh, now I really feel like we should start addressing some of the like ah, naysayer comments here. Totally. Of um, first, we're referencing it even in its name of cryptocurrencies, but some of the opposition is that this cannot actually function as currency. This is functioning as an investment right now, which and it's also referenced as the male version of MLMs or multi-level marketing schemes. That was actually one of my favorite naysaying comments. Of, it's pretty uh, good. It's pretty good. Just the comparison is that women have largely been targeted uh, historically by multi-level marketing schemes like Mary Kay, like whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. LipSense. Um, and it's hey, buy into this. It, it could uh, make your life great. Get in my, be my downline and buy people buying in. You're trying to talk them up to it being a higher value than you currently possess. And mm -hmm. so by them believing in that dream and buying in, now your value actually literally goes up to what you were saying it was. So you get bumped up. Um, but the male version of this. It's like, hey, this is tech. This is attractive. Do this, do this. Crypto is so great. Look, my my um, investment is going up so much. Look at how, where this is going into the future. Buy into it with me. And as people buy in, you know, obviously the value goes up. Um, and so yes, comment on that. But, and second on the thing I 
brought up earlier in my comment about can this actually be used as a currency? Yeah, so the currencies concept is, you know, the first use of Bitcoin was buying a pizza. And that that is like the, it's referred to as the Bitcoin pizza. At this point, that would be worth, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin is how much they spent on this pizza. And each of these systems, currency is... I'm not going to give the most perfect answer, but when you dig into like the differences amongst them, some of them are much more scalable in the sense that you could and would like, you know, treat them like a currency and spend them on, on whatever it might be. Um, some of them are like, <clears throat> Bitcoin is viewed as a store of value because it's slow if you want to use it. Um, so mm -hmm. Ethereum is faster, but now the, there's like another layer of, of blockchains that are built on top of the others that are faster, faster. So it's kind of like a scalable technology where they're trying to maintain the philosophy of decentralization, like this, this non-controllable thing, but they're trying to make it faster and better along the way. The MLM concept is a really funny joke because um, anytime somebody sees like their crypto go down in value, it'll be like, please buy my coins higher than the value I paid for my coins. Like, it's kind of like a, a meme -y joke. Um, but I, I definitely can say if you pay attention to like major Bitcoin conferences, it sounds just like a Tony Robbins event or a Mary Kay event where they just like preach the importance of the thing and how much of the thing do you have? And you can only come to this party if you have more than a hundred Bitcoins and you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I think that element, I think there's a fair argument for some of that. Um, but I would say when you look at the concerted attacks against crypto um, for environmental reasons or for, for those reasons you just mentioned, it's usually like CNBC, CNN, MSNBC, all on the same day releasing similar articles in like concerted grouped attacks at the thing, um, which is pretty interesting from the perspective of like, it's only downside for the government. Like crypto is not helpful to the government. Crypto no. is definitely like constantly proving and showing kind of how unnecessary they are mm -hmm. in this like world of, eh, we don't barter with your US dollars. We're not that worried about it. We'll do it over here with, 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 with uh, marbles and stones, right? And they're just shaped in these like crypto things. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that there are fair arguments against um, against crypto along the way. But uh, a really good argument from Elon uh, Musk was, uh, he said, what if someone created a currency that inflated at will whenever and wherever they wanted? Every now and then it changed leaders. The philosophy was never the same. And you were at the whim of that. Is that a currency you would like to hold? And the answer is and was overwhelmingly no. And the reminder is that's the U.S. dollar. Yeah. <laughs> that's a fully inflatable, point. fully manipulatable, fully inflatable, fully like just printable at will. Mm -hmm. Over a third of U.S. dollars currently in circulation were printed since 2020 started. Mm -hmm. So like a third of our monetary supply has come out in the last 18 months. Yeah, yeah. Like, so it's... I mean, everything in life has arguments, right? Everything in life has 
pros and cons. I, I like, I like, uh, if I'm going to pick the cons associated with the thing, I like the cons associated with crypto more than the cons associated with most things. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I started, I don't know if I have the right sense on this at all, but just in my rudimentary research, it kind of seems like people who lean more liberal are actually being quite conservative with anything changing. And people who are quite conservative are quite liberal with, I think that we should innovate and adopt. And we believe that this is a good thing for our society. Um, but, <laughs> and so, I don't know, I wonder if there's going to be another flip-flop of, you know, how like to be democratic yeah. actually meant to be conservative or like a Republican. Yeah. Uh, what I think that? the parties are going to, I think the parties are going to change a few definable features. Um, I, I think that's really fair. What's happened with, uh, I, I tend to be quite libertarian, which is a very crypto thing. It's very, yeah. I think libertarian is going to be the party of, it's funny because it, it kind of means do whatever you want, yeah. inclusive of like LGBTQ rights and race mm -hmm. and all of, like literal do what you want, but mm -hmm. also I get to do what I want. Yes. Inclusive of religion and financial decisions yes. and, 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 and that's like truly libertarian. And I think that our generation actually is that the problem is people that lean too far conservative or are, are fully conservative in a lot of ways. Um, a quote that I keep in mind and that I live by is like, if you can't fully articulate the other side of something on it, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. then you don't know enough about it to talk about it. Mm. And like, yeah, that's that's where it's at. If you don't if you don't know your enemy, you can't love your enemy. You can't destroy your enemy. Right. Like you you, you have to be able to articulate what the other side thinks or you're being an idiot and short minded, um, short sighted, small minded. Same thing. Um, so so to me, yeah, there's there's this interesting situation where the average liberal is so worried about hurting opinions and feelings and trees that they can't innovate. On, in, in many ways, whereas on the other side, they're like, whatever, like, mm -hmm. this is like censorship free money. If you want to sleep Which with who you want to sleep important. with, have at it. Like, here's money that can't be censored. We are humans that can't be censored. Um, you are humans that can sleep and do with who and what, whatever you want, wherever you want. Like, I think there's a libertarian party that's going to emerge. I'm really hopeful for that, actually. Yeah, that it'll um, only win. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, um, I, yeah, censorship is probably one of the most compelling things to me about the new, this new era of decentralization and, uh, you know, DAOs and whatever, because it, it freaks me out that I logged into my Spotify account for the first time and it's probably going to um, vlog or like uh, demote my, this episode, but, uh, and it, it had this big red banner on my account of like, make sure that you double check all of our rules on Spotify, uh, i.e. <clears throat> like, don't do what Joe Rogan did. <laughs> so, right, right, right. And it's, oh gosh, it just freaks me out. So anyway, um, one last thing, well, probably not, but one thing that I wanted to ask is when you're talking about crypto and how, it's not inflationary it that makes it sound really stable and like we could put mm. our trust in this when actually it kind of seems like it's the opposite of stable like if i had a coin sure. it actually would be 
worth so much. I mean, if we equate it to dollars, right. let's say I had a, a coin and it seems like by the time I pick up my gallon of milk and walk over to the cash register, the price would have changed on it or the value of my coin rather would have changed. Yeah. So it, yeah, what would you say to that? It seems like it's just not stable enough again to use as currency. Yeah, in in micro, it's it's relatively stable. In macro, it's not super stable. Um, sometimes I guess you could argue the opposite that in micro it is stable because you know what it's at today, but in macro you don't know where it'll be next month. Either way, the stability of the asset is a bit different than like looking at it from the perspective of like, what is it worth? Because it's only worth what someone will pay for it. So it has this element of being a stock, like in a lot of ways or commodity. The, the inflationary point is what's being said is at least it's not the government that moves the price. It's other humans. It's other human activity, yeah. right? It's, it's market factors, it's buyers and sellers. That's very different when everyone in the room just agrees on something versus one person at the treasury department making the final decision to mm -hmm. entirely change the monetary supply. And so, mm -hmm. yes, there is an element of instability. There's a quite a, you know, there is instability. However, literally the only people who have lost money on Bitcoin in the last 10 years are people who bought a peak and sold at the bottom. Which is classic. Don't do that. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Side note. I did want to bring up the upcoming, well, predicted, I don't know what you think about this, if it's really impending, but the recession that's estimated for, I, I don't know, there's probably other sources on this, but around fall of next year, 2023 or 24. And so with that, like, do you think, well, no, I guess I brought that up because I just wanted to like, give a little flag reminder of don't flip out and sell it everything because that's the people who lost the most in 08. If there are studies that show whether it's housing, whether it's holding your stocks, if you just kept it, you would have been fine. So that's right. keep that in that's mind, right. a little friendly reminder for everybody. <laughs> but yeah. uh, with uh, that potential like continued market disruption, do you think that we should be cautious about considering investing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if anyone was interested in investing in crypto, like you have to do so from the perspective that like you believe in a certain network or a network effect or the things that are being built and done on that network. Like I'm, I worked with a group that's helping put on um, Coachella this year. And well, I guess they put on Coachella every year, but I helped them with some stuff this year and they're partnering with a group called FTX and FTX has a token. So if you think you want to treat FTX's token like a stock because they're going to be at Coachella and number might go up, that's fine. But if you don't dig far enough in to tell yourself, I'm comfortable holding on to this thing for X amount of time, regardless of what happens, then you're kind of playing the lottery a little bit. You're playing as the, you know, number, number go up market versus making a concentrated bet and saying, you know what? I hear what Jacob's saying. It's a non-manipulatable, non-censored currency. And Jack Dorsey and a bunch of these other people are all screaming that it's important not to censor stuff. And Bitcoin is non-censored. I'm just going to buy some and put it under the rug 
and forget yeah. I have it, right? Like mm -hmm. that's a different thesis than I need to make money in the next three months. Yeah. Um, Cause the quickest way to make money in three months is probably to play the actual lottery, um, you know, or get a job, not, yeah. not, not like buy Apple stock and hope it triples, you know, or buy Bitcoin yeah. and hope it triples. Um, yeah. But, and then the recession comment, I mean, yeah, like it's, like I said, with Bitcoin, like middle of 2021, I remember looking at a study that said from the inception of Bitcoin in 09, all the way to 2020 or 2021, the, average yearly return on Bitcoin was like 145% IRR. Like at any point, if you just bought in and you just sat on it the whole time, 145% mm -hmm. yeah. IRR along the way. So it's like, yeah. there's really not a lot of people that can argue I lost my life savings on Bitcoin because it just hasn't really happened. Like there's been a couple of crashes, yeah. but if you just held through the crash, it, it went 5X higher right after, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. so, but like I said, there's a lot of incentives to, to shut it down. So I'm okay to sound like the crazy crypto guy. Said like a, a true successful startup person. You have to be okay with sounding wrong and like going hard on a bet of like, I'm pretty, I'm willing to say I'm right enough to just go for it. But that's right. Uh, so what are some learning resources that you would recommend to people who want to take this conversation and go deeper into learning about crypto and nfts web3 what other stuff should i throw out any other buzzwords i should throw out yeah you know so one thing that's interesting about the the word i guess web3 is mm -hmm. it's kind of this like concept of the crypto like there's blockchain which is the underlying technology there's crypto mm -hmm. which is like the tokens on top and then web three is being used for this like social consumer layer where crypto is like normalized and used in a much more consumer friendly way. And so that's kind of what that word means. That's what that word means to me. That's kind of how I see people using the word. Um, I think that's helpful definitionally um, yeah. to kind of realize that like, okay, like it, the word has a meaning, but it's not like a end all be all on any of this mm -hmm. stuff. It's all kind of just fluid. Um, yeah. I think if you use Twitter, there's a few different accounts that are worth following. Um, you know, I think there's kind of a, a group of people who have crypto punks, which is a very specific mm -hmm. NFT collection that like are viewed as being very early um, and a lot of them have built a lot of the companies that you see today um, in that sector. And um, Andreessen Horowitz runs a big venture fund, but there's, you know, A16Z, there's this thing they have called NFT Canon. So like the Bible has Canon, C-A-N-O-N. Um, NFT Canon and then Dow Canon are actually two different like web pages from, from Andreessen that they've put together and they're just chock full of great articles and videos. Um, and they're one of the largest funds in the world. And this is what they've deemed like top of the world to read and review. So I, uh, I, will, I will go with their creation and their word on that one. I will have to check that out. Also, I caught that you said DAO. Is that the way to say it instead of D-A-O? Uh, either way, people, okay. people say either way. But yeah, DAO, DAO is the more like, colloquial way to put it 
that just definitely triggered me back to my memory of my first interview trying to get a tech consulting job, which I, I amazingly ended up getting, even though I said SQL instead of uh, SQL, nice. the guy nice, straight nice. laughed at me, but <laughs> still got it. It's okay. Nice. Um, That's wow. great. That was a memory. I was like, well, I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going to pretend I, I know based on your face, I said something wrong, but I'm too stupid to know. <laughs> Uh, as long um, as you're coach as long as you're coachable everything is overcomable you know um what a what a quote that's a good one yeah. Um, yeah. i think more uh, in terms of application i would love to hear why you think this might matter particularly uh if you think there's anything differentiating as we're speaking to um Christian professionals, some of which consider themselves like high performing, they would like to be leaders in what they do. Why does this conversation matter? You know, when somebody says casually, like, haha, I'm bad at math. Like, that's a really dumb thing to actually say publicly, because a you're probably not bad at math. And B, mm -hmm. if you are, it's not something to be proud of right like it, it's like saying you can't read good like okay thanks yeah. for sharing um that's kind of how i feel around all, most topics like i don't need to know much about neuroscience or astrophysics i'm not interested nor will they ever come up in conversation mm -hmm. but if if crypto which is already quite pervasive in a multi-trillion dollar market mm -hmm. isn't good enough to at least be like knowledgeable enough to know the words to be dangerous around the topic and ask good questions um I feel like it's a pretty big one to say I'm bad at math. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm bad at math. I'm bad at crypto. I, I don't get X or I don't get Y. It's like, okay, well maybe go learn something about it. So you don't have to say that, you know, like I, I, I don't think I'm not going to go out of my way and say that it's like a, a desperate, like must know, mm -hmm. but you know, I've bet uh, my entire life and career around the fact that I think some combination of AI and blockchain will just win in many, many industries. And if so, you don't want to be a steel worker in 1947 looking for a tank to build. 100%. That was the best punchline. Just, I think now we see and have seen for a long time on the horizon of these big buzzwords that seem like they're just fear-mongering media of like, artificial intelligence is coming to take your job. I think that it's time to take that pretty seriously and not just hope that everything pans out okay. And I'm not trying to aid at the fear mongering whatsoever, but just if it, I don't even think it's that hard. To be honest, I was very intimidated by this topic and really mm. didn't have much of, and I still don't feel like I have much of anything to say on it, but once I just got over my fear of the big terms that just sounded really buzzwordy and like they were owned by tech bro guys that, you know, I might not be in that conversation. Uh, once I just got over that, I realized, oh no, don't worry, Kelsey, pretty much everything is spoon fed to you via credible articles and YouTube videos. You could even go on Forbes and have them dictate the article to you as you eat your cereal sure. and you can understand it. It, so uh, just to give some encouragement if it's not 
that hard to get your feet wet in these important concepts, but the overarching concept that's important here in terms of innovations and needing to be adaptable to how the market is going to change, especially the workforce um, and the retraining and reallocation that's going to happen as automation continues. It's just I mean, actually, what would you say to that? What are some um, qualities or even more tangibly like skills that are going to be what humans can really capitalize on as automations take over mundane things? Yeah, I mean, a basic answer is like learning how to work on a Tesla charging station or learning how to read and audit um, how an AI operates, I guess, or like, you know, auditing transcripts or whatever, like there's, there's, you know, learn how to code in solidity or rust or cadence or any of the necessary like blockchain languages. But I think really it's continuing to figure out what is the interaction between humans and technology and like, what could you do if you had a job that was actually fulfilling at a production studio? Would you want to be filing paperwork for two years in the mailroom? Or would you rather the mailroom be quite automated and your first job is as a production assistant? You know what I mean? Like, it's like figuring out how, how do you give humans like something to do that they feel like valuable doing and that they get to use their brain and who they are as a person. Um, I think more jobs that we're not even fully sure of existing yet are gonna continue popping up like roles such as community manager. Uh, that word community manager really doesn't make sense um, outside of, like, like at Facebook, you don't think of someone at the corporate level having a role called community manager, but you think of someone who has a Facebook community as being a community manager for their people. Mm -hmm. Well, the next wave of startups isn't gonna be a club inside of a Facebook pool. It's going to be a new company that does a thing. And someone is gonna have to manage the community or the, the, the inter, actions between those who work at the company and are building the thing and those consumers that are consuming what the company's making. And I think we're going to see more and more companies that aren't faceless brands. I think we're going to see more and more interaction between brands and people. Mm. And so continuing to figure out what that integration looks like and how people feel like valued customers and, mm -hmm. and heard by a brand or they get to help iterate on what the brand is doing and why. I think we're going to see a rise and a continued, like basically just hope, which I'm very hopeful of, which is like a furthered importance of humans, hmm. you know, like you're giving humans more valuable, but more value by taking away mediocre paperwork and numbers level roles where they don't interact with other humans. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't know the right yeah. way to put it other than that. You're just like humans will matter more in the future. Mm -hmm. um yeah something like that <laughs> that struck me hard of the relevance of what you just said to mm. actually the creation story if we go back to genesis mm. chapter one baby it talks about how our um and the principle of first mention is extremely important in hebrew literature which is obviously the context that <laughs> The Bible didn't come out in English first. It wasn't written for the Western right. audience. And in the principle of first mention, using that, we see what is the first thing that we get to know about God? That he's a creator. The, what's the first thing that we get to know about us? 
that were made in his image. What's the first thing that we got to know about our job or more accurately our purpose for why he created us? He, or maybe I shouldn't say why it's more like what we were created for. It's more the what. And when he says the what it's in chapter one, verse 26, go fill and subdue the earth, be fruitful and multiply. And it's leading, it's creative, it's authoritative, it's shaping, it's cultivating. That is the human spirit. And it got dumbed down through the fall of man and deterioration into mundane tasks and a theology or a belief system around work as character building torture that is supposed to be the itchy sweater that tells us that we're horrible and to remind us just to like be in fear of God because he's in control and we're bad. But actually the story is much more accurately that we're supposed to remember that we were made in his image and our glorious image bearers that do creative work. And so it seems like actually this is a very exciting conversation about how automations aren't another taskmaster that's taking away prosperity and opportunity. If you're counting prosperity and opportunity as your manufacturing job, it's actually meant to replace it with opportunity to move more into your dream state work, I would say. Do you agree? I think that's right. I think that's like a really great way to put it and not something I've thought about specifically, but like Adam and Eve were in a garden that fed itself, mended itself, grew itself, planted itself, and the animals knew what to do. There was literal nothing for them to do other than just vibe. <laughs> name, name the animals and vibe and walk with God. That was it. That's all they did. And then the second they got kicked out, it was now you have to till the ground and, and build warehouses to store your food and do this and have kids and it's gonna suck. Like yeah. literally all of our jobs that will get automated away are the punishment jobs. And it's circling back towards a creator economy and like a brain and like a utility focused lifestyle where you actually get to just think and exist and not just count grain, you know, in a field. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think that um, all of crypto is the most altruistic thing in the world, but I do think that there is something beautiful about the concept of um, anyone who feels like their current job is mundane and they hate it. It's because it probably is. And you probably do. Um, so maybe you should rethink that. I can't think of a better way to end this conversation. <laughs> Is there anything that you want to underscore or reiterate? Or was that just the best mic drop that we should leave it at that? That's great. That's great. We'll leave it there. What a conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, take one moment right now and just leave a quick rating and review below. And also go connect with Jacob on LinkedIn with a word of thanks. If you would like to work with me to get your career strategy and vision in place, you can apply for one of my one-on-one -on -one coaching spots for high-performing Christian professionals who are interested in making a meaningful career move in the next three to six months. Whether that's landing a job at a company you admire or pivoting into a new career path altogether, you could head to my website today and apply for a free 60 minute career strategy session with me at kelseykemp.com services. 
The program is selective and the spots are limited to five new clients each month. That is kelseykemp.com services. All those links are in the show notes below. You could also follow along with me for free career tips and behind the scenes stuff when you follow along on Instagram at Kelsey underscore the cult career and also on LinkedIn at Kelsey Kemp. If this episode impacted you, don't forget to tag me as you share. See you next week on Answer the Call.